Welcome back to the Deep Fate. My name is Zach. As always, I am joined by Raven. How are you today, Raven? Doing good. Nice. How has your morning been treating you? Uh, it's been a pretty chill, relaxing morning. I wish I got coffee, but, you know, what are you going to do? I could have picked it up. Eh, it's fine. You knew I was dragging my feet anyway. <laughs> I did, but I didn't really care. I was just talking with bosses. Bosses. Right on. Well, today uh, we're going to be primarily basketball focused. Going to run through a notebook dump of some of the games I've seen this week. Go over a few thoughts on them. Uh, get to some 2024 NBA predictions, resolutions, what have you. Welcome in the new year strong. Um, maybe get to a little bit of the NFL at the end. Talk a little college ball. But first things first, going to Tuesday. Uh, Celtics Thunder. Thunder beat the Celtics 127-123. A couple things. One, I I think Shea is a top seven player in the league at this point without, like, certifiable opposition, and it's not seven or six. I think that, I mean, you can't account regular season games when you're going, it's like this player over this player, in my mind, because I know it's kind of reductive to say prove it in the playoffs, but... Shea Gilgis-Alexander beating Tatum in a regular season game in January is not the same thing as in the finals. But, I mean, just this entire season, Shea has gone from... He's done this his entire life where it's a steady progression across the years where everyone knew... Not everyone knew. Everyone knew he was at least good when he was on the Clippers. He gets traded almost as a throw-in in that Paul George deal. Then... Advancing from then, he plays over 70 games only once. So that is really my only knock on him to this point in his career. Outside of his rookie season where he plays 82 games, it's 70 games, 35, 56, 68. And then he has played all 32 games this year, but otherwise it's been a bit of a struggle. Other than that, going year by year... First year in OKC, he goes from 10.8 points a game to 19 while shooting 47% from the field. Next year, 23.7 up to 51. Next year, 24.5. And then 31.4 last year, the first time he made an all-star team and rightfully first team All-NBA. 31.4 this year. He has always been a positive presence on defense. And he is sneaky tall. The, the NBA... This is just what I do when I'm bored at work. The NBA has started uh, doing like little games on the app, the NBA app, if you have it. And one of them was like ranking the heights of like five point guards. And people forget Shea's 6'6". Yeah, he's not short. No, along with all this. And again, that helps with passing. No shit. Uh, His turnovers are still quite low. Like he's never been a a Chris Paul, uh, even like... Damian Lillard in terms of assist numbers, but the ratio has always been good. He's currently leading the league in steals because of that height and length, higher than he's ever been at at that regard. He's helped out a lot by the length that he has around him, Jalen Williams, Chet. That closes up passing lanes even further, and that has tightened up their defense and made him look even better. My point summarily is at the end of the season, we will get to this later, but... He is already in the MVP conversation, and if 
we weren't in the era of the last five years where it's dominated by the three foreign players, uh, Jokic. I mean, he's technically him as well, but Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. Shea is, correct me if I'm wrong here, our best North American basketball player? I would argue that he is overall, yeah. Like, he can do a little bit of everything. He can play really good defense, which I feel like is not happening as often in the NBA. Like, you'll still get guys, but you're not getting guys like um, like the glove. Like, there's no no one's getting these, like, cool nicknames for being such good defenders anymore. Like, Kawhi's the last one. Kawhi is probably the last modern defensive-oriented player, but... And no one calls Gobert the Stifle Tower. <laughs> That's one of the more corny ones. And then there's Patrick Williams, who never lived up to the paw. Speaking of a uh, different, um, different game this week that featured someone from the same draft class, uh, who, it, day by day, I'm mesmerized that the Bulls took Williams over uh, Franz Wagner. Because earlier this week, although they lost to the Warriors, um, I'm starting to think that Boncaro and him not only are going to be one of the top five duos in the league going forward, but Boncaro reminds me a lot of Chris Webber early on, where it's he has been put in a position to be such a primary offensive hub, and he is built and plays like an old-school four. And he's in that position now, uh, albeit it's been a little bit hazy where he's been at center a lot because Carter's been hurt, so on and so forth. Um, but get him another shooter, and I think he's either like evolutionary Julius Randle or, again, that modern version of Chris Webber. On the other side, we'll get to the Warriors a little bit more in a second, but against the Magic, having someone like Looney or even, I don't know, just someone as strong as Kaminga is how you match up against the Magic. And then if you get their offense to start getting clunked up, which because they don't really have a true point guard outside of Fultz, Cole Anthony is more of a six man. That's how you gum them up. Uh, moving on to Wednesday, Bulls-Knicks. Uh, Knicks beat the Bulls 116-110. to 110. Randall has one of the strangest careers ever that I've seen for not... I mean, the NBA is full of... It's a got, full history. You got Tony Snell. You got your Tony Snells, the greatest Nick of all time. But a lot of weird careers for for stars where you have guys like, I don't know, going all the way back to like your Spencer Haywoods who dominate, fall off, and then find themselves for a bit. Uh, people who get hurt early, Ben Simmons starting strong, falling off, and never coming back. Would Rand- you say the same with Gordon Howard? Gordon Hayward? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he's just never been healthy. Like, Yeah, that's true. He's never really He's never back. recovered from that ankle injury in Boston because even when he came back, he was like their fifth starter at that point, and there was always a push to give him a little bit more burden and that the Celtics could win more if they did. But, again, he had just never got back there. He got a big deal from the Hornets, and sometimes I still think that he's valuable. It's just you never trust him to be healthy. But his relationship with New York has always been strange, and he's arguably having his best season as a pro, just efficiency-wise. He is at 
almost a career low from three-point percentage since he's been taking um, threes at a consistent rate, but his field goal percentage is the highest it's been in the last five years at just under 48. Over the last couple months, he's been close to 30 points a game. He's still averaging almost five assists, almost 10 rebounds, and the Knicks are still over 500 despite being without Mitchell Robinson, training for Ananobi and having precious helps, but him and Brunson have, as a duo, pulled a team over 500 by themselves, basically, and that's not something that I would have expected a year and a half ago when, you remember when, after they they lost to, oh, who was it in the playoffs? But they tore his, they tore his poster off the wall out of the, out of the tunnel and they were stomping on it. <laughs> that's the kind of career he's had, but he puts up 35 efficient points well, there. This is what he's been doing for like, months. I don't I forget which game it was, but there was a play where, towards the end of a game where Julius Randle's calling for the ball and then they just don't give it to him. And oh, so he, he, he just still walks has the, back on defense and like That was like towards the the tail end of the start of the season where it was horrendous. Just prime dubious handle. Like ton of turnovers like just lazy. Lazy, astonishing low efficiency numbers. And then plays like that where he doesn't get the ball on offense in a late close game, doesn't get back, gives up a bucket, and then chucks up something awful on the other end. He can still do that, and that's why I do not trust him. I just think that. I was shocked that they got rid of R.J. Barrett and kept Randall. Like, personally, I thought. It was going to be the other way around. I feel like RJ is. I a thought bit... from vibes that makes sense because Knicks fans were frustrated with RJ, but like RJ but never actively still. pissed him off them off. They yeah. still wanted to believe in him, where I think a lot of the time they they're rooting for Randall despite him because it's like I they kind of wish that he was still bad because they want to yell at him for how much he's pissed them off in the past, but at least RJ was growing. I don't know. On the other side, uh, Kobe Fever might be waning slightly. He still put up, I believe, 23 in this game. But there were a couple plays down the stretch when they were down double digits with a few minutes left. And I think Kobe is really fast and quick in a straight line. But there were there were one or two drives late where, and this is where you actually do miss Levine, because in the past, Levine has been one of the top clutch scorers late in games, and a lot of that is because, I don't know if it's insane to say, he has, and it's always what's been most frustrating about him, he has such an explosive first step, like, beyond the pale of almost anyone I've ever seen in the last, like, 15, 20 years, where it's guys like Westbrook and Rose, that, like, young, young LeBron, that caliber of athlete, and he's just never put it together. But late in games, that's when Kobe's game can stall because in the half court, I still think he struggles to get by guys. Uh, all told, uh, DeMar prior to this game said that MSG is his favorite place to play. And I think that the Knicks honestly should trade for him. Because I made a joke about it at the at the end of the last podcast that their odds went from 71 to 70 to 1 after trading for Ananobi. And that was Ananobi. And that was tongue-in-cheek for the most part. I understand what they were doing because it kind of realigns timelines for both the Raptors and the Knicks. Because I think that's why they ultimately did it. RJ is still 22, 23. 
trading him for Ananobi, who's in his seventh year in the league, is a not a star, but a star role player, alongside Precious, who's in a similar vein, although not quite as valuable. He fills in a need for the Knicks when they need needs filled rather than having the potential of RJ. And then I like Malachi Flint, but it's just an 11th man. For the Raptors, they are afforded the opportunity to give RJ space. And I like quickly, he's not the best player in that trade, as much as some people would like to believe. Again, star role player, better defender than his build would suggest, but they are just realigning their timelines, getting players that more fit what they need in the immediate term. I think that it made sense, especially because they weren't giving up a lot of draft capital. Whatever they pay on Anobi is what matters most. But I think that because DeMar is on an expiring too, you could get him for a surprisingly low amount where they don't have the like the Obi Toppin or just like the one young player toiling on the bench anymore that they could throw in a DeRozan deal. But to me, that feels like the one where you give up a pick or two, like one lightly protected first, one more heavily protected first, and what? One, like just contract matching at that point. Like I don't, I don't Can you think- give money like how some of the other sports do where you just throw in like. You can't just like pay off the difference. Like it would have to be some combination of like a Josh, Josh Hart, Isaiah Hardenstein. I mean, you could put Randall in there, but I don't think that makes sense. The big one is Evan Fournier because even though he's functionally useless to them, he makes 20 million a year. So him and like, God, what? Jericho Sims, like these smaller contracts just to add up to to Mars because it's still fairly reasonable. It shouldn't take too much. Maybe Malachi Flynn immediately gets rerouted. I think that he would be a good fit there, and it's clear that he wouldn't mind playing in New York. Later in the week, Lakers Heat, the Heat beat the Lakers 116 to 100 despite being without Jimmy Butler. The Duncan Robinson career arc needs examination by going to be a 30 for 30 the best scientists alive because you can go basically just off his three-point percentage he comes into the league 2018-2019 as a rookie averages three points he's playing 10 minutes a game whatever 25 years old 2019-2020 season he when and that's the that's the bubble run too mm-hmm. he shoots 44 percent from three on eight a game. Next year, he shoots 40.8 on eight and a half attempts per game. The next year, it's down to 37. He's under 40% from the field, and he's back to just under 26 minutes a game. Last year, he starts one game all season, plays only 42 games total, averages 16 minutes, and is shooting 32% from the field. Actually comes up decently big in the playoffs, had a few key moments when they had no one else to turn to and he finally started making shots. But this year, he started half their games, he's back up to 30 minutes a game, and he's shooting 43% from the three again. I don't know what changed. I think it's just like he's one of those guys that it's like if he's in a slump, he needs to get out of it himself, I think. Over the course of three years? I, yeah, I, okay, at the same time, yeah, but... Think of it, it's like he, correct me if I'm wrong, he went to a Division II school, correct? He's, 
He went to a Division II school and then transferred to Michigan. That's okay. So, like, he's worked for it. At certain point, you're gonna. I'm not saying he's burnt out, but like, you're gonna you're gonna struggle. I think a lot of it uh, could be written off as a just a fit within those specific Heat teams. But even then, like their roster, that's kind of some They've of the always... beauty of it. Their roster hasn't changed that much. The core pieces have remained the same. And like honestly, this season it makes even less sense because they lost Struess and Vincent, and Caleb Martin has not been the same. Like, why is he? I I don't know. My my point is that maybe for shooters especially, and this is if you listen to guys like Reddick or J.R. Smith, confidence might literally just be everything. Because if he just got shook for two years, then found himself in the playoffs last year, and then and is like and he's back. That yeah, it's like oh, I'm good. That it kind of uh, just shows the fragility of. Some of these athletes. Not only these athletes, but just, like, a career. Yeah. I'm on the same team. Like, we don't have to stick on Josh Richardson for long, but Josh Richardson, too, is playing 27 minutes a game for them. He's played 25 games. He's averaging, what, 10-3 and 2.5 on decent splits. Like, cool. I thought he was out of the league after last year. Uh, I don't understand how... The Lakers didn't pick Jaime Hawkins when they had the pick one before he was taken. I actually don't mind Huchifino. I liked him coming out. And the very, very sparing minutes they've given him, I think he looks more comfortable than a guard who never plays should. But, like, Jaime hit a shoulder fake fade on LeBron in the fourth so quarter clean. while it was close. And it's just like, this dude has stones of steel and he's going to be... Not only in the league, but probably a member of the Heat for the next 12 years, and everyone's going to be angry the entire time. It's the type of thing where it's like you see a guy, there's always rookies that believe that they have the capabilities and will try to take on these like legendary players like LeBron. Jaime was one of the ones that just did it in stride, he does not head care. down, and just walked away. And LeBron gave him the little nod and point, which... You know, that's always a good feeling, I can imagine. But for the kid to come out of UCLA out of after four years, it's it's pretty impressive what he's doing. He was one of those guys that, and this is what I was saying to you earlier, that like when he got drafted, college people all were like, Oh my god, of course the heat got him. And that's when you everyone simultaneously is like, shit. They did it again. Even, like, my father was like, oh, dude, I love Jaime. And he, frankly, does not care nearly to the level as someone like you or I would. But, yeah, Jaime's amazing. He gives, uh, what, who's a good example? Like, the Patrick Beverly back in the day, or Westbrook, like, will be 52 and, uh, and say, it's like, I'm glad I get to go up against the best players of the league, as I am myself. Jaime's 22, 21, and yeah, 22, and already, already getting nods carries, from people. Carries himself that way. His averages have only gone up as months have progressed, and he's a strong defender. It's like, it's like drafting Ananobi instead of having like if you're the Knicks, drafting an Ananobi and. 
not having to pay him $120 million instead of uh, trading for him. But that's what it is. Same thing with the the Heat Devil Magic going further. Kevin Love had 14 rebounds in that game. Okay. I don't know how this man just continues to rise from the ashes. He literally has gray hair, but that's cool. Uh, Last night, Bucks Spurs. Bucks barely edge out the Spurs 125-121. Tight first half. Immediate 6-0 run out of the half for the Bucks, but the Spurs didn't. It's a credit to what they've accomplished from the beginning of the season, where it was kind of an underrated story that they had also lost, what, 19 games in a row before randomly beating the Suns. Good job, Suns. And I think they're starting to look more comfortable, but maybe that's just Wembenyama looking more comfortable. It's kind of atrocious what they've done to him by putting this, like, disgusting team around him. Like, Raven, name... Hold on. Is Lori Walker still on the Spurs? No. Oh, that, that was probably the only you know one I could have gotten. You know who's second in usage percentage on the Spurs? Oh, God, no. Zach Collins. <laughs> it's Zach Collins. It's Devin Vassell. It's Kelton Johnson, who by themselves I don't hate. Sohan is still above 15% from that stretch where they were trying to use him as a point guard. He already looks more – Wemby looks more comfortable operating as a point man. There was one play towards the uh, – towards the beginning of the second half where he rejects a screen right and then just one hand whips it to the corner so that 30, who I forgot was Julian Champagne, had to Google that. He vainly faked and then tried to dunk on Brooke Lopez. It was just pathetic. Like, there's 20 of those a game because he has players that are not only meh. I mean, Champagne shoots like 30, a high 30s percentage from three on low volume and that's literally all he does as a basketball player and then they have six of those guys on the other and then they also have like Devin Vassell who is a good scorer and a hypothetical defender but like if you give him the ball past half court you're not getting it back Keldon Johnson good connector but he's like a fourth starter on a good team they they did not surround him with enough talent or a point guard in any sense, and it's extremely disappointing because I think if they had, like, I don't know, Ryan Archidiacono, they might, who can at least, like, throw an entry pass, they might have won this game. Like, Javon Carter, like, just anyone who knows how to pass a ball without like having to pick up their dribble and get it given back to them. You know what I mean? Hot take. Do you put Isaiah Thomas on this team? The the short yes, one? Yes, the short one. No. The one that still plays basketball. No. I don't know. I mean, he can pass better than I feel like some of the Spurs Such a low right bar. Now, but it is a low bar. Being able to... The Spurs, I mean... Being able to bring up the ball better than Jeremy Sohan is not... Something that should justify you being added to a roster. Uh, Despite having a record similar to the Wizards and Pistons, I do think this team has way more life, especially recently. They held tight with a team that's now 25-10 and on the year. And as Wimby continues to grow throughout the year, and he's gotten more efficient as time has gone on, too, it's just a talent issue around him. Um, If you're the Spurs, the one thing I would worry about is falling into the same trap as the Mavericks, where you draft a guy who is so good that 
he gets so good so fast that you don't have time to build around him. So in the same way that I think the Thunder should trade for someone because you want to maximize this window while Shea's as good as he is and Chet's ascending, don't think that you have time because Wemby just turned 20. If he's one of the best players in the league by 22, 23, you need to have a roster ready to compete in that time. And right now, this does not look like a roster that can be ready to compete for playoff wins in two years. That's just what I think. Also last night, Nuggets beat the Warriors 130-127. to Jamal Murray is officially back. Didn't need that. He's uh, back, baby. Um, he, had a, he had a stinker a couple nights ago against the Thunder, but... Even then, it was 11 assists. He's becoming more comfortable after being back in the offense for a few days. They've won four of their last five games, a few of them being blowouts. I think they beat Memphis by almost 40 just before the new year. Uh, Last two games, 25 points on fairly efficient shooting. He he has become reacclimated and recovered fine from his injury, which... Leads me to believe that the Nuggets are back to being the best team in the league, but I don't want to take that away from the Celtics or the Thunder, apparently. Andrew Wiggins is still benched, and this is why I was uh, almost kind of late getting here, and by that I mean I was. So I, I spent like 20 minutes this morning just going through Andrew Wiggins' trade, and the one that I settled on that I kept trying to make work was trading him and Draymond for Kyrie. Where if you throw in like, if you throw in like a Maxi Kleber or Tim Hardaway and rework some of the contracts there, there's some exception stuff. But like, let's just say straight up, it's Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green for like Kyrie and Maxi Kleber. Who says no? I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but it's weird because like your defensive bats court is gonna struggle. And at that point, you might want to insist on getting someone like a Josh Green or going out and just spending whatever draft capital you have left to go out and get a Dorian Finney-Smith. But their offense has been gummed up a lot when Steph is not going off. There are a couple of bad shooting nights. I mean, Steph's what streak of a few hundred games of making a three in a game ended, which was just a microcosm of that stretch. They're barely beating teams even on their good nights. Clay was okay last night, and they still lost at the buzzer. Like, if you get 24 points out of Clay Thompson at this point, you need to win. Curry had 30, and... Again, they need... If they aren't going to be able to build a solid defense around the players they have, and if they can't trust Draymond, like, why not go with the Mavericks route and say, listen, we have... And imagine Kyrie and Steph on the same team. That is possibly the two greatest ball handlers ever. The or, defense would be tired within the first half. Like the yeah, amount of just, running you but would just have turn to into do. the spacers. Exactly. Literally. They're gonna shoot forty-two percent from three combined and score. Uh, I saw the other day that I think still both Embiid and Maxi together combined are averaging over sixty points. I don't know why the same thing couldn't happen there or come close. It was just a thought. The defense would be terrible, but it would also open up an opportunity for Kaminga to get more minutes, who I think is their most impressive athlete. He had 16-4-4 last night. 
He's imposing over everyone physically who is not a center. He didn't score past the middle of the third quarter despite a shootout incurring, and I just don't like how they use him. And maybe it's selfish to say get Clay out of there, get Wiggins out of there for the sake of Jonathan Kuminga, especially because he's ironically shooting the lowest effective field goal percentage of his career. But, like, the dude is 22. Please give him the ball more. You know how talented he is, and he is speaking, like, publicly about how he wants the rock more. And he's... In my mind, he's done enough to deserve it. And, again, maybe it's unrealistic for them to trade off some of the key members of of their last championship for the sake of Jonathan Kaminga and getting Kyrie Irving. I just thought it was interesting. Jokic masterclass, 34-9-10. Ridiculous game winner. Uh... It gun to my head right now. I know that it's funny to say because Embiid's averaging 35 points a game, but just to wrap this up, if I, after this week alone, had to make my top five for the fate of the world, uh, Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis, and then, like, tell me if I'm crazy for putting SGA over Curry. I mean, with how he's been playing, I don't think that's really that out there like shy has been playing like some of the best ball he's ever played curry is playing arguably some of the worst ball he's ever played at least very recently it's been some of the worst that we've seen in a few years and not saying that he can't like turn it around and save this team but at like like you said gun gun to the head right now i think putting shy above curry is not a crime like i feel like that is just based off stats and how those teams are doing i think you could argue enough that that works yeah. and then if you want to put argue between tatum and curry to round it out i will give credence to whatever one you want to say if you want to put luca in there sure i just think that hmm I might put Luca above both of them, honestly. And it's crazy to say that Stephen Curry is the seventh best player in the league when he's still averaging like 27, 5, and 5. But. What can you do? He, he, can't, he can't carry them quite to the same way. Again, this is like 95% of what he was. It's back to back MVP years. So, like, this is not a diss. It's just they cannot rely on him as much as they once did because they lack the infrastructure now. Anyhow, coming back, we'll do a few predictions, resolutions for the new year, and then do some picks. All right, we'll be right back. Coming back, since we just started the new year, I figured that we'd go through and uh, run through, trade off some predictions, resolutions, thoughts and prayers, yada yada, over everything that we think will happen in the new league year. So, one quick thing, um, I'm going to change one of my predictions slash some of my commentary from earlier because just coming out from The Athletic... 
Uh, Kuminga, quote-unquote, has lost faith in Steve Kerr and doesn't believe he can reach his full potential under Kerr. Wow. So, um... Hmm. Breaking news. I'm going to quickly just say first prediction, Kaminga and Green for Siakam. I like it. And maybe like a Chris Boucher type, but outside of that, I don't know. Um, Wait for that to develop, of course, but I think that anyone who gets Kaminga, and if he sincerely believes that, uh, they will be very lucky. Going uh, further down the California coast, though, some of the big news the last couple days is a disconnect in the Lakers' locker room. Lakers are 6-9 in their last 15. Like we just talked about, just lost to a Heat team without Jimmy Butler. Reports from The Athletic, ESPN, etc. all seem to suggest that the team is growing more questioning of him as locker room disconnect grows. My first prediction is that the Lakers will fire Darvin Ham before they make any trade. There's been a lot of talk about how they are going to use the D'Angelo Russell contract, the Ruyachi Murray contract, both of those coming in in the mid-teens or low 20s, the obvious one being Kyrie. Uh, there's also been talk of guys like Zach Levine. You could go for someone less significant, talking about like a Buddy Heald, or it would be an awkward fit, but if you could finagle away for a Siakam. I think that GM LeBron gets what GM LeBron wants. So if quote-unquote locker room disconnect is LeBron disconnect, then, I mean, think back to David Blatt back in Cleveland. They had the best record in the league when David Blatt got fired and replaced with Tyron Lue. Granted, worked out. Tyron Lue has a ring. But I think that is a very safe bet to say that if LeBron, the Lakers, at this point, clutch, it's all synonymous. If he wants Ham out, and these reports have veracity, which by all accounts they do, then he's probably gone sooner than they actually bring in any new personnel. Because why would you make a trade and then fire the coach? Like, does that make sense? Like, why would you, why would you get rid of like the in the locker room leadership after bringing on someone new? Because if you're trading for a Levine or even a Kyrie who's been around the block, it wouldn't be that shocked by it. But like, I feel like it would be counterintuitive for that locker room's culture to bring in a new player prior to a new coach if they really are discontented. And then like. Raven, your first point here. Do you do you think do you really believe that the the Bucks would be better without Adrian Griffin? I mean, right now I just don't really have faith in him. Um I don't think the coach like I don't think the coach player dynamic with Giannis and Adrian is the same as him and Bud which I liked that duo a lot better. I think they understood each other a little bit more. I, I, I just can't. The defense issues that the Bucks have are so blatant that watching them is annoying sometimes just because 
every single time we come back and try to do it, we're automatically down again just because we can't stop a basket. I think, I don't know if maybe firing Adrian, Adrian Griffin outright could be the right move. Maybe you just have to change I, some of the coaching staff around him. Well, he did that himself. I was <laughs> this say, is I, stats. Yeah, but again, I'd like you keep changing, keep changing till something works. In my opinion, like we can't be throwing some of the prime Giannis years out the window. And obviously, we picked up Dame to like really help out and try to get us back to the playoffs. But I don't feel like with Adrian that the Bucks are going to be the full potential that I know they can be. Like, I just don't, I don't know if it's going to need a year and they just need to f- kind of wrinkle out the problems, but I just don't see it happening this year. So with the Bucks, counter, uh, they are 25 and 10. They are, they are 25 and 10. They have been top three in the East the last three years. We have made it to the playoffs once. Like, we got knocked out of the uh, second round, I believe, twice. So, for a team of that caliber, I don't think that's acceptable, which is why we fired Bud. But when you have the Heat, who are... I think they just wanted they wanted to fire Bud since prior to the championship. Oh, I think so, too. He just bought himself a few years. With the championship, yeah. I, I mean, everyone knew that was going to eventually happen, but... Which also recently I'm beginning to believe they got really lucky to be going up against Monty Williams. Yeah, I agree. Um, I just, there needs to be a change. I don't think the Bucks are going to make it this year, especially with how the Heat have been playing and just overall them trying to be the Bucks killers. Like Right I, now I would, like, I know that record would not reflect it, although they're not that far off. I mean, I would pick the Heat over the Bucks. I agree with you. In that I, sense. Like that's where I'm. That's where this kind of comes down to is they're not going to be the Heat. Speaking to, I mean, uh, certainly not Boston or Philly in that regard either. So they're my biggest thing, and in support of your point, their defensive rating has actually improved to now they're sitting at 18th, which is still, I believe, lower than any defensive rating would be for a champion in the last at least in the 21st century because once you get to the playoffs it's always teams that at least finish in the top half of the league that end up winning finishing in the top half in the league on defense that is however to this point in the season the bucks have had quite literally the easiest opponent uh strength of schedule outside of i believe the Suns, which is also worrisome. But in terms of opponent strength of schedule, i.e. the opponents they have to play, they are second to last, meaning their schedule has been very easy so far, and their defensive rating is still only 18th. Which is just more room to be worried about. Like Exactly. Like, there's a stretch coming up in, uh, where is it? In, uh, at the end of the January going into February, where over the course of... Over the course of a month, they're going to play the Cavs, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Mavericks, the Suns, the Timberwolves, the Nuggets again, the Heat, a ideally improving Grizzlies team, Timberwolves again, Sixers, um, Clippers. 
it will get harder as it goes, and I think that the record will balance out. But to me, this feels like more of a two-season thing in terms of Griffin. But I do entirely agree that not only can you not waste this kind of any of these Giannis years while he's still in his prime, because we have no idea how he's actually going to age. But also just like him in Milwaukee, because exactly. as a Milwaukee fan, I know eventually he's not going to be a Milwaukee Buck anymore. As much as he loves the city and that franchise for everything that they have done for him, I know deep down that he, A, wants to play somewhere else, and B, is probably going to move in the next three or four years. He seems to have more of an edge this year than any year past, where before it was like faux. Like going back to when he was first coming into the league, he's talked about it was like he had to learn an angry face. Yeah. Which was first cute. Now he does seem quite mad. And that's not even, that's discounting the charging into the Pacers locker room, ball game shenanigans. He seems to, at least outwardly, be more discontented, and I don't know whether to lay that at the feet of Adrian Griffin, but I mean, I, I, th- I think I think that unless it is just a monumental collapse, it's not like Griffin's going anywhere this year. But I think that if we have another full off season of like firing your assistants right before the season, or Giannis not seeming happy as long, provided that Giannis doesn't want to get out even sooner then there will be questions. Next, touching on a little bit earlier, I think that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is going to finish top two in MVP voting. To give the full statistical breakdown, this season so far, Shea is averaging 31.4 points. He's 2.5 steals, which leads the league, 6.4 assists, almost six rebounds. He's shooting... 54.6% from the field. And then the part that always fascinates me with him, his touch is amazing. He's shooting 90% from three, but is shooting 34 or 90% from the free throw line, but shooting 34% from three on just over three attempts a game. He is such a unique guard for this era when like our major memory of how guards have evolved in the last decade or so is Curry and him winning those back-to-back MVPs. So to see a guy come along and while playing solid defense, of course, is not a three-point shooter is kind of weird. And right now I think his only competition is Embiid, who granted uh, is putting up 30 and 10 at minimum every night. His last five games are 42, 40, 51, 31, 31. All of those being wins except an inexplicable loss to the Bulls. He is leading the league in points per game for the third straight year. He's averaging almost 12 rebounds. He's up to six assists while his turnovers have only increased marginally. He's still playing great defense. He's just under a career high in blocks. Going back to, I believe, his rookie season, where he was, he only played 31 games but averaged half a block more. He's healthy. He started 26 games this season out of, I believe, a possible 36. He has been 33, pardon me. 
he has been the MVP to this point, but I, more than any other player, know that Embiid is at a risk of injury or he's at a risk of missing games. This is something I've been thinking about with some of the Heat players, specifically Adebayo and Butler. Butler especially, that with the new games threshold for awards and for all NBA teams and all that, he might not hit it. Uh, Embiid's going to be mighty close. So if we're really starting to take into account availability as the best ability, stack up their stats and the difference between Shea and Embiid is not that significant. And then at that point, we know MVP, all awards in professional sports, a lot of time it's based on narrative. Does Embiid, especially after losing in the second round again last year, really seem like the kind of guy that would get back-to-back MVPs? I don't don't think think, so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think Embiid... I mean, I like Embiid, but at the same time, I do think he is kind of crybaby-ish about a lot of things. Not to say that a lot of these guys aren't crybabies when it comes to certain things going their way, but... Shout out Luca, Luca and King LeBron. Um, But yeah, I just think Embiid kind of... I don't want to say begged for it, but... No, he did. He did. Which, I mean, again... I mean, he campaigned for it more than Jokic ever did. I, I think Giannis was guilty of, of it, too. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not... That's one thing that I, I hate some of the discourse around regarding his desire to win MVP. Like, do you not want him to want to play well? Like, uh, there was... Would you rather him just be like, yeah, I'm okay being the third best? Like, I get, it's cute. Because when Jokic does it sometimes, but like I don't want every good player just to suddenly become uh, apathetic towards being good or winning. Like I like it that Embiid is playing 31 minutes in a game against Chicago that he has no business playing more than like 22 in because he wants to put up 30 and 10. And I mean... Was it two days ago? He put up uh, put up a triple double too. Like, you don't want stat hunting in the Westbrookian mold where they're only winning forty five games and he wins MVP based off of that. But like, it's not like he's playing forty eight minutes just to get Will Chamberlain stats. Like, I I've never liked that part of the discourse where it's like, oh, he's just stat hunting. He's stat hunting because he's fucking awesome and he's in the game. Like. What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, I think SGA um, isn't the benefit of not having that discourse around him and because the Thunder are such a good story themselves and if Embiid falls off in any manner, I think Shea is going to be number one. Next. But let's combine a couple of these because I, I said that the Thunder need to get one more piece mm-hmm. to be a true contender to get to the finals. And, and I'm saying the same thing with Dallas. With Dallas. Dallas, I think, is a little bit more... A little bit more ready? No. No. I think... Okay, ready from the perspective that Luka has made the Western Conference Finals, and you know Kyrie has obviously won a championship too, albeit it was now eight years ago, so I'm not really going to factor that too much into the equation. They have... 
lead stars who have at least been there or close before. So if you want to say that, that when they get to the playoffs, you trust them more than you trust the Thunder. I get it. But I just think that Dallas needs a starker change to be able to get that far without a legendary Luka run. Whereas the Thunder, I think they're maybe one guy away. Like, completely. And it does not need to be a significant guy. Like a Cody Zeller or just someone to... Not someone that bad. But, like... <laughs> someone to just be Cody Zeller, like, six years ago. Yeah. Um, No, thinking more like... Uh, a name I've heard with them a lot is Jared Allen. That would work. I mean, a guy like Allen or... Shit, even on that team, like... Okoro, a defensive wing, I would have said Ananobi. Ananobi would have been the perfect guy for them, but... Too late. Too late. They're also at the benefit of being able to to package a lot of these younger guys for four stars. Like, you have your, your Aaron Wiggins of the world, who I actually kind of like, personally. But you have i mean Lou Dort's on a very tradable contract although he's extremely important and has played every game this year save for i believe one um i would trade giddy if you can just for vibes reasons but that's my own thing uh also to trade up well also he's not an efficient scorer i mean he's, he's good not. he's a good passer and he's Showing stuff on defense. There was the clip going around of him trying to do the half spin move and it do, it being like the 2K stock animation where it's just like the slowest turn you've ever seen. Uh, but it would also clear up space for guys like Kaysan Wallace, who is awesome and is hyper efficient at, I believe, just turning 20 years old. Isaiah, Isaiah Joe Hive is strong and I think that he could be JJ Redick given the chance. Kenrich Williams, uh, the other Jalen Williams, Osmani Dang, who I think people have forgotten about, but I will never forget, even if he plays nine minutes a game. They have the ability, uh, this, um, I always say his name wrong, Michich, Vasile, don't skewer me, but they are in a unique position to maybe even like, like it shudders me to the core to think about them training for Draymond because I just like their culture so much and I don't know what he would do to what it. What Draymond would do to the culture, yeah. Yeah. But even like more fun examples, like think Jalen Green or like trading Giddy for Green or trading for, I don't know, someone as simple as like a Larry Nance. Not that I think the Pelicans would trade anyone off. They're back up at 21 and 14. But... I mean, if you're picking through the dregs of the league, maybe like a, he's on too expensive of a contract, maybe, but like a DeAndre Hunter. Uh, if you're trying to pick through the carcass of even worse teams, like Bojan Bogdanovic would be so perfect, but the Pistons would have literally no good players other than Cade if they trade him. Um, honestly, I think Vucevic would be a good fit as like that center role next to Chet. He wouldn't help you on defense, but... Like, they might score 120 points a game. Which which also, just, like, quick note, the Pacers, do you know how many points they're averaging? 126.4. Good job. You can read my notes. I, <laughs> I forgot that I put it there. Um, so maybe that's not even that good. But it's still impressive, though, for I, the Pacers who... What, what I'm saying is 
I think the Thunder are in a better position because for the Mavs, like they need they need a high level player to be like, oh, they're top three in the West. I know they started the year there, but to keep there, to keep there, they're a team that like. I I really think that that is a Draymond team. Um, uh, the the old maxim is that you're okay to have one crazy guy on your team, but you can't have two because they'll hang out. Um, like I would love to hear a conversation between Kyrie Irving and Draymond Green just about like va- vaccination status, <laughs> but I don't know how well that would go. But if you are just if you podcast. are swinging for the fences, Draymond is perfect for them. And they can match contracts. Mm-hmm. Like, Kleber, Rashawn Holmes, you're pretty much there. And then if the Warriors are just trying to get off of them, you're, you're giving up nothing. Like, do you need to give Tim Hardaway Jr.? Like, that would be a loss. And I think Hardaway Jr. is a better defender than he gets credit for. But, like, again, these are the gains that you need. And maybe you can even pick up a Moses Moody in the deal. If you're willing to trade, like, Josh Green... Or and throw away the rest of your picks, and you're able to get Kuminga in there too. Like Green and Kuminga, for me, changes a lot. I don't know if they would benefit from someone like Siakam or like Mikhail Bridges if the Nets want to send them off. I don't know why they would, but is how it is. They could also just like say fuck it and trade for Levine and give zero defense. But whatever. Speaking of zero defense, uh. My my favorite prediction is that the three and I want to make sure for history I get this correct three and thirty one Detroit Pistons will break the loss record. Now I'm gonna look that up because I'm curious what is the loss record. I'll let you do that because there are two of them technically. There is the there is the uh, seventy two. Sixers. 72, 73 Sixers, yep. Who have 73 losses in a season. Um, but then you have the winning percentage of... The winning percentage of the 2011 Bobcats was just over 10%. I believe they won eight games. Seven. Seven. Seven and 59. And then I just Googled it for posterity. The 1947 and 48 Providence Steamrollers had six wins. I don't think it's impossible that they at least tie it. I mean, anything's possible with the 1952-53 Baltimore Bullets winning 16-54, and 54, making the playoffs. God. And then they lost in the semis. How, so, did, how did sports actually, like, how did that, <laughs> why didn't they just give up on them? Okay, because also, looking at it, like, going off of strength of schedule again, the Pistons... I mean, it. They've they've had a tough schedule, but like there's I th- games in there that they should be winning. But like, it doesn't get a ton easier. I know this is a huge waste of time, but like, if you're listening, then deal with it. Um, they play. Oof. Wow. Okay, their next few games: Warriors L, Nuggets L, Kings L. So okay. We're trying to get above six. They play the Spurs at home on January 10th. I think that the Spurs are playing better than them right now, but granted, the Spurs net rating is actually lower. So 
I think that's way down by some blowouts. I think the Spurs are better. I don't think they're going to win it. They play at the Wizards. I think the Wizards are a dumpster fire, and that seems like a game they can win on January 15th. But then from there, it's like, let's say they win one of those. They're at four. And then, oh, God. They play the Wizards again. They play the Hornets. And then, oh, dear, they play Hornets again. So it's going to be close. Their their schedule is kind of hard. They still have to play the Celtics twice, the Pelicans, the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the the improved Grizzlies, the Hawks, who will probably have Jalen Johnson by April. I I think we could be looking at less than 10 wins. Because even, like, extrapolated over the rest of the season right now, they don't get there. So if you... If you are going off of all of NBA history, I think they'll get over six. I don't know that they'll get to nine. It'll Imagine if they trade Bogdanovich too. It'll be really close. I'm going to say it right now that I think they end up winning eight games. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go on to your last point? Sure. I We'll combine it together. Yeah. Um, I think that despite your uh, your belly aching, I think that Milwaukee and the Clippers will be two of the teams in the Final Four. And I say those two specifically because of the commonality of big trades that they just made for guards. One being Damian Lillard, obviously, and the other being James Harden. To my immense chagrin, the Clippers are fourth in the West right now. They're 21-12. and 12. They're seventh in the league in net rating at positive 3.1 they are top half of the league in offense and defense their strength of schedule has been questionable i will say so it might get harder and there are still absolutely moments where it's clear that these guys are still a little confused about how to play together but when it is humming oh my god it is humming it is like houston harden times five because instead of Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, it's like two of the 50 greatest players to ever live. And then Russell Westbrook comes off the bench and leads a good bench unit. And they still like, I know I remember the beginning of the last year, I read at least one or two pieces where it's just the Clippers have spent the most money of any team ever. And they have so much talent around it. And now I think that it's clear that that talent was a little bit overrated at the time. Norman Powell is not quite the superstar that we thought he was, but they still have Bones Highland, who plays 16 minutes a game on this season, on this team for some reason. Kobe Brown sucks. Uh, PJ Tucker is first team, all cardio, like Hall of Fame chest puffer. Um, Fun fact, I'm just looking at his cleaning the glass page. It's hilarious because he's in the 99th percentile for assist to usage rate, but he's in the 19th percentile for assist rate is because he is literally in the 0th percentile for usage, which means that he, for those who don't know, he finishes the least of a team's offensive possessions in the entire NBA. Um, I'm very glad to have Daniel Tice back in the league just to see 
uh, how many times a guy can get fouled without it actually being called. I sneaky like Amir Coffee, and he's only 26. You know who? You know what blew my mind today? What? How old do you think Avitsa Zubats is? Like 26? I thought he was like 31. No, I knew he was still pretty young. He's 26. I I could have sworn he was he looks, way older. He just looks Norman older. Powell, who I just made fun of, is 30. Like, how is Zubats 26? It's the hairline. I know it's the hairline, but... God. But yeah, I mean, you can call Harden a swingman or a two. He's point guard on this team, and he has fully taken control. When he is in the game, he's been relatively healthy. Honestly, he's played 28 games despite getting traded right at the beginning of the season. He's played one less than Kawhi. Like, again, it is all a matter of health. And, like, knock on wood, this goes back to when they lost uh, in the... They lost in the Western Conference Finals a couple of years ago. They made it because they were healthy enough, but once people started to go down, i.e. George and Kawhi, it fell apart. But, like, if you gave me the guarantee that all three of those guys were going to be healthy, I would pick them to win the title right now. And that hurts my soul as the preeminent James Harden hater. But, like, I, I really can't argue with what's been happening. Going off year two picks, I'm choosing the Wolves and the Nuggets to make it out the West and the Heat and the Celtics to make it out the East. I think for the Nuggets, it's questions on depth, although I like Peyton Watson a lot. I assume like what they got out of him. Good draft pick. Christian Brown's still there. Uh, Aaron Gordon's back. I'm glad. I When I saw a dog attack, I was like, I'm just like, Glad he's alive. Worst, yeah. Um, and that he came back quickly. He looks okay. I'm glad. Again, just glad that the guy didn't get messed up about it. Um, I think that either I would honestly pick the Nuggets first, even over the Timberwolves, just because a Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, b Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs. Although a couple years ago, when they were the seventh seed against the Grizzlies, he did play well at least for, for a few of those games. But I, as much as I love Anthony Edwards, they still give to me the aura of a team on the rise and not a team at its apex. Now, maybe, again, I'm thinking that their window is going to be open way longer than it actually will be, but I would pick them to lose in the first or second round Honestly, with how good the record's been, they're going to play a shitty enough team that I would say the second round, but I'm comfortable saying Clips Nuggets. And then my last point for my prediction, it's prediction resolution, I don't know what you want to call it, but like, will the Hawks ever not be mid with Trey Young? Uh, No. Because like, no. A- after living there for five years and then being here, it's been eight years since he's been in the league. They have shit. not done jack shit in that time. They have consistently been middle of the pack in the East. Every single time, all my buddies out there are get super excited for the smallest thing, and then do they the actually? Goes, oh my god! Those like no hate to my Haw- buddies. Hawks out there. fans get excited. Hawks fans get excited sometimes. It is pretty crazy. Yeah, because what? Oh yeah, they drafted him. 
they well in twenty well that was the thing the Luca Trey Young I I remember I'm just looking at their their record uh yeah going back to the first year with Lloyd Pierce twenty nine and fifty three twenty and forty seven forty one and thirty one uh that was the COVID truncated year forty three and thirty nine forty one and forty one fourteen and nineteen you could argue that like let's call the last four years a success. As well, let's call it as when, like Trey is doing, is Trey is a very good player despite his warts. Like statistically and just in terms of being an offensive hub, he has been at his peak. Although young enough to still be ascending, I am not discounting that. They lost in the Eastern Conference Finals, obviously. Lost in the first round, lost in the first round, and this year they are not on track to even make the first round. Which is disappointing because they were so fun with Jalen Johnson breaking out, and I thought maybe getting rid of John Collins and just freeing up space for like the Onyeko Okongwu's of the world would really help them. And we might go back to the tray of a few years ago, where like people were super excited on because he looked like Steve Nash, and he was just really being a connector, but it's clear that not only is he not that, he's kind of deflated DeJounte Murray's value too because with Murray taking more of an offensive role, from what I've ascertained and I can tell just with my eyes, Murray is not the same defender he once was in San Antonio because of the role he has to play on the Hawks, and that's kind of a huge issue. Um, Their defensive rating is... 120.9 that's really bad (laughs) no matter what era of the nba you're playing in it's 27th right now and they're currently slightly negative in point differential but they're top five on offense like like you can never give trey shit about how he runs an offense and i'm not i'm just asking if they're ever going to be good i it's weird because because he's, we'll he's a good up player. This. But like, he's, a, he's a good player, but like, he can't be the best player. But who can he be next to? I was just say, who is better than him? That he can reasonably play with. Because you could say like, like the answer is maybe Steph like three years ago. But I sincerely cannot think of See, another player. I'm because, thinking of a like a big, like put him with a good big that they can space the floor. Like with. I would say Jokic, but Jokic is the one that needs the ball. Mm-hmm. And but Trey is the one that needs the ball. It, it it's again Trey has pretty consistently been a good off ball slash catch and shoot shooter. He just doesn't do it. He's not like Steph where he's running around constantly to get tired. He's saving his energy more so he can dribble by you he's less effective hard is what he's gonna end up being yeah I, I i agree with that a lot he's gonna end up being hardened and that is still an amazing player who will put up amazing statistics i do not think that he will ever reach Harden's scoring peak granted few players ever have up at 36 a game one of his last years with the rockets but because he can't reach that he's also never going to reach the pinnacle of those Houston teams where it was like they were winning 50, 60 games with Harden at least, unless he literally has the perfect combination of two-way players, almost like Allen Iverson did, like the Eric Snows of the world who can play 
good defense and hit enough shots that he can dominate, like even then it doesn't really make sense because so much of his impact is predicated on passing. He is such a tough nut to crack because he's he's a top 25 player. No matter how bad his defense is, it's just with someone that good, I want to find a way for him to win, even if I don't always like him. I just don't see it. All right, we'll be right back. We'll do a lightning round of some NFL picks, and then we are going to get on out of here. All righty, everyone. Welcome back. We're going to go through a quick little lightning round of the NFL games this weekend. Last week of the regular season. We're going to try and keep it to just a few minutes, run through each game, give quick thoughts, and then skedaddle up on out of here. First things first, two Saturday games tomorrow. First one, Steelers at Ravens. Uh, Ravens are resting all their starters. Uh, OBJ on Twitter was... He got uh, a boat. Good for him. He got a boat. Lamar Uh, Jackson, do not get on the boat. Do not get on the boat. For the love of God, if you ever listen to Giants fans, don't get on the boat. Don't get on the boat, man. Uh, I'm going Steelers with this one. I think re- they're resting all their starters. Uh, to the OBAJ point I was making, people were like overthinking it, saying that they were going to bet on his overs because he had contract incentives to hit, and that so they were going to play him, and he's like, nah, bro. Yeah, not worth it for him. Steelers over Ravens. Uh, Saturday night game, Texans-Colts for playoff implications. Uh, winner of this game is going to make it. Loser is almost definitely going to be out. Texans at Colts. CJ Stroud is back, but no Tank Dell. Colts have everyone. What do you got? Taking the Colts. Uh, I'm sticking with my son, my lord and savior Stroud, uh, who should have been a bear. Okay. The 12 o'clock slate on Sunday, six games. First, Jaguars at Titans. Uh, If the Titans beat the Jaguars... There is an outside chance, not only did the Jaguars, not even an outside chance, if they lose to the Titans, one of the Colts or the Texans is going to win the division. And then if the Steelers also win, the Jaguars are completely out of the playoffs. It's a must win. What do you got? I haven't really liked what I've been seeing from Lawrence since his little ankle injury. He's been playing well, but just Last game was... Nice because their defense dominated and because... And he didn't have to do too much. No. And Josh Allen is a real edge rusher. C.J. Beathard was in. It was easy. I think the Titans might pull this one. It's going to be close. I want it so bad. I just think that Henry has also been pretty terrible the last few weeks. And if the Jags defense plays half as good as it did against the Panthers, I don't think the Titans are that much better than the Panthers at this point. But, like... Will Levis, you're my starter for the next three years if you beat the Jaguars in this game, but I'm going to have to take the Jags. Uh, Vikings at Lions. Uh, Lions still technically have a chance at the two seed if the Cowboys somehow lose to the Commanders, but given that the Cowboys are going to actually be playing for something in that game, that seems exceedingly unlikely. I want the Vikings. Because I think that they're not going to risk their stars when it is like a 5% chance that they actually make it. Make it. Yeah. I think that they are going to take it easy and their, their stars might play like a quarter. 
I'm Maybe gonna, I'm overthinking it. I think I think this is still such a big, especially with the heartbreaking loss the Lions had last week. I think that's actually a good point. The city is like I don't know Oliver, my co-host for my our show, um, was showing me a bunch of the like billboards that are around Detroit. The Decker reported, yeah. <laughs> and then like the crossed out um, twelve and four, eleven and five, or whatever. But okay. I do think the Lions Sorry, have some to prove. Get but. over it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Shut up. <laughs> it's like when the Saints wanted the entire goddamn NFC championship game redone because of, because yeah. of a call. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Wham. You won the division already. I think the Lions. Wait another it. 30 years, losers. All right. Falcons, Falcons have nothing to win. Falcons at Saints. Um, Ooh, what a fun game. I, it still technically has... Playoff Some. implications, I guess. Um, Arthur Smith, supposedly not coaching for his job, but like, um, maybe don't blow this one too. Who do you got? I'm going to take the Falcons. In terms of talent, sure. I hate both of these teams. That's what I'm saying. It's not a great game to pick or bet on. So If... If the Saints win, it's like a 50-50 shot that they make it. If they lose, it's, I guess, theoretically not impossible, but they need help. Falcons, same thing if they win. They need some assistance from, like, the likes of... They need the Bears to win, and I think, like, the Seahawks and Vikings to lose, something like that. So both of these teams want to win, and in a... I guess do or die. It's do or probably still die. I guess I'm going to take the Saints because I trust them more than Arthur Smith on the road. Valid. Or Taylor Heineke. Uh, Jets at Patriots. This means nothing. Who cares? Uh, uh, the, the, Patriots are, the Patriots are better off losing. Yeah. Jets. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> Bucks at Panthers. Um, this matters for the Bucks. Yeah. They don't need to win to make the playoffs but it would help them I actually no i take that back they do because if they lose the and the saints win i believe they are out so this is a must win they're gonna be playing everyone uh bucks easy agreed browns at Bengals. um not much to play for here browns I, are resting their players right i think so i mean i i say that not believing they can drop at all I think there's an. I don't think that the Bills can overtake them in wild card standings, even if they lose. Because, yeah, it's either the Bills would get to the two seed. If the Dolphins lose, they drop to six. There's no way either the Colts or the Texans. The Browns have nothing to play for here. I, I think the Bengals, purely because they'll at least like send out their starters for a bit, whereas the Browns are going to actively be resting people. Game that actually matters between me and you. Loser. I mean, we can... Bears ju- at Packers. <laughs> <We don't, laughs> Let me... Okay. Let me cook now. Give, give your thoughts while I double-check the line on this, because I, I want to know if it's moved. That's fair. Um, Packers looked good last week against the Vikings, even though the Vikings' defense is not that great. Jordan Love has been looking okay. The weapons have been staying healthy, and as long as they can continue to do so, I feel like the Packers have a decent chance. 
That being said, DJ Moore did get snuffed out of the Pro Bowl pick, so he's going to have oh, a little chip. Yeah, he's playing say, mad. Yeah, he's going to have a little chip on his shoulder. So I don't. I think it's going to be actually like one of the closer games this week and more entertaining ones, but I got to pick the pack. Versus the beginning, it's kind of funny how this year has gone because at the beginning of the year, I think both of these teams were over under eight and a half wins. Middle of the season, that seemed ridiculous, and now they're both going to finish right around there. The Bears obviously under, but if the Packers win, they make it, and if they lose, they don't. Same with the Bears, right, or no? No, Bears, no, are, Bears out. are out. So they're just here to play spoiler. They're just Yeah, they're just trying to bring me down. Yes. So the line has not moved. It's been at three all week. Uh, I know that home advantages have changed a little bit. I would also <laughs> favor the Packers in this game. Is it in Lambeau or it's in Lambeau? Okay. Yeah, I would. I have two dueling forces in my head here. And I know this is going to make this go longer than it should. But one team, I want I want them so badly to knock them out because it'll be like the Lions last year where it's just like, hey, like you thought we didn't have anything to play for. Take that. The other side of this. If they lose. If your final loss of the season is to the Packers, I think it's way more likely that they actually move on from fields, especially if it's like a fumble to end the game. Again, when the game starts, I'm going to want them to win. But like pragmatically right now, I don't want them to. That's fair. I hate your team. But respectively, respect to Justin Fields, the one thing that I'll agree with him in any of the intervening months coming up. Uh, there's nothing much to do in Green Bay but watch football. These fans Stupid are loser be, fans. Yes, these fans are going to go crazy. Cheesehead drunks. I hope they lose for the sake of my joy. And but I also... Drinking. After alcohol. the fact... After the fact, I won't be so mad if they win. That's all I'm saying. That's Cowboys had commanders. Cowboys have something to play for, so they're going to beat the hell out of them. I don't really think there's much else to say. No, yeah, next. <laughs> Shout out Eagles for completely blowing it. Broncos at Raiders. There, again, is nothing to talk about here. R.I.P. Kind of Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, boring game. It is a meaningless game unless you bet on futures. Um, God, I guess I will take the Raiders at home over Jared Stidham on the road. I would I would take the Raiders. Yeah. I think Max Crosby's going to devour uh, Eagles at Giants, like Eagles, but it's not as not sure by, as it should yeah, be. Not by much, or isn't. Pretty. It does not feel safe, which speaks so much more to the Eagles than it does the Giants. Uh, to- like not even I, right I now. love, I will always cherish Tommy Cutlets, but Tyrod not starting for weeks is one of the dumber things that's happened this year. Um, Seahawks, Cardinals. To have a chance of making the playoffs, the Seahawks need to win. And as frisky as I find the Cardinals, I, with something on the line, I cannot bet for them. So I'm going to have to take the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, Kyler uh, Gannon confirmed that Kyler will be the starter next year. That does not surprise me. Um, if there is a prediction we're making right now, they're going to be the team that takes Marvin Harrison. Uh, Rams at 49ers. The 49ers aren't going to play anyone, I wouldn't think. Yeah, there's no reason for them to. But 
they also don't like the Rams. So, like... They might play, like, some... They might play... A, I. It's something that I heard floating around that they might, but especially with McCaffrey going out a bit early after tweaking his calf last week, don't play games. Yeah. I'm going to pick... I, I'm taking the Rams because I, I think that even as much as these teams would like to beat one another, I cannot in good conscience think that the that the 49ers would risk with their injury issues of the past they would risk how good the season has been in a meaningless game against the rams i agree chiefs at chargers the chiefs aren't playing their starters but like good god um i guess the chargers but i'm gonna take the chiefs still honestly like i i can't blame you because there's still enough infrastructure there that like it, I said, every close. single week, Quinton Johnson is your receiver. You cannot. He is have... a receiver, you know. He is certainly a receiver on a NFL team. Mm-hmm. And then, wrapping up. No shade to to Bears Packers, which is I think one of the two best games of the week. But the real one, Bills at Dolphins. Yeah. Who you got? I'm gonna go with the Bills just because the Dolphins' injury problems. I know here's here's the thing. It's, it is. It, this it's is really like my personal bias because I I have been on the Bills wagon for the last four wins. They've been averaging almost twenty six a game over that streak, which is impressive because sometimes it has not been pretty, including last week and against the Easton stickers. Um, it just feels like the game where they make me feel like an idiot for believing in them and still sincerely believing they're the second best team in the AFC. But if they win this, then they literally are the two seeds. So I'm going to trust my gut and say Bills, but like it's in the back of my head. Also, um, before we go, Cubs, please sign Shota Imanaga. Do you know his nickname? I did not. His nickname is the Throwing Philosopher. That is a outstanding nickname. I don't need to know much more. With that said, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Elitio Podcast Network as always. Thank you, Raven. Of course, of course. Have a great day, everyone.